listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Those are two very rich stories that the lectionary has set on our plate for the week, aren't they? A rather poignant resurrection complete with a breakfast of bread and grilled fish on the beach, prepared for the disciples by Jesus. And clearly he really meant what he taught them about serving one another in love and in friendship. And the story of the conversion of Paul. Or at least that's what it's called in most any Bible that has section headings, the conversion of Paul. In the liturgical calendar, there's even a feast of the conversion of St. Paul, marked on January 25th. But I'm inclined to agree with the New Testament scholar Eric Barreto, who suggests that calling this narrative an account of Saul's conversion misses half the story. So Barreto says, Saul does not just turn away from a previous way of life. More importantly, he's called, commissioned to walk in a new way. Even more than a conversion, Saul's monumental experience on the road to Damascus is a call, a commissioning akin to the call of Isaiah or of one of the twelve. So with that in mind, that this is as much a call story as anything else, let's back up a step and consider the story. At that time, it begins, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Still known by his given name, Saul, it will be years before he adopts the now familiar name of Paul, He is, the book of Acts tells us, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And isn't that an evocative phrase? He's on his way to Damascus with the authorization from the high priest to arrest any Jesus followers he can find there. And then on that road, he's knocked to the ground, blinded, confronted with the truth of what he had been doing and what he was intending to do. A voice speaks, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? To which he asks, who are you, Lord? For Saul, this can only be the Lord, because such a powerful and clearly religious experience could only be of the Lord. Saul is devout, you see. And he's committed to the service of the Lord, and yet there is this question there as well. Who are you? Who exactly are you? Because this is nothing like I've ever expected or experienced. The reply comes, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus. You can only imagine the mind of the devout and passionate Pharisee beginning to reel. Jesus, get up, Saul. Enter the city and you will be told what to do. 
So they take him to Damascus, sightless, where for three days he refuses to eat or drink. He's lost. He's dislocated. Everything he thought he knew is now up for grabs. We must, observes Amy Oden, we must be careful in how we portray Saul. Rather than portraying him as a persecutor, we might see him as a committed son of the covenant, someone trying to do the right thing in order to strengthen the people of God. He is, she comments, the classic example of the devout person who is so determined to do good that they are blinded to the destructive consequences of their purity campaign. Now, Odin offers a bit of a cautionary tone in her comments with this reminder that sometimes zealous devotion can become a kind of purity campaign and beyond that be used to justify all manner of horrors. Whether that is the young man, Saul, standing by, watching, and tending the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death on the streets of Jerusalem, or closer to our own context, the religious violence our world has witnessed in the past six weeks, the attacks on those two mosques in New Zealand, the bombing of churches in Sri Lanka, and a shooting in a synagogue in San Diego. In each of the three, the perpetrators apparently acted with a strong sense of their own zealous, religious, and justifiable righteousness. This is how to be faithful to God. This violence is faithful, or so they believed. But what if you've believed like that, acted like that, done things and are then confronted by the very Lord you thought you had been serving, you're told that the violence you've been committing in the name of God was in fact violence toward God. No wonder Saul couldn't eat or drink for three days. He probably couldn't sleep much either. Just days and nights of having to confront what he'd been doing in the name of God. And then on the third day... And isn't that a little piece of poetry? On the third day, a believer named Ananias is sent to him. Ananias goes, understandably, with great hesitation, but he goes all the same. He's one of the people Saul had set out to arrest. Yet on that third day, there is a healing of Saul's blindness and the beginning of a much deeper transformation of his heart and his mind and his soul. I suppose you can call it a conversion, but it is a conversion, first of all, of his theological heart. He remains a Jew, and he continues to believe in the God he thought he'd been serving all along. But now with this whole new understanding, this whole new reality in view, very soon, Acts tells us, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. But it's still going to be a long journey before the missionary and epistle writer Paul is formed. 
The timelines of Acts and of those epistles suggest it is fully 14 years before Paul sets out on his first mission journey into Gentile country. And that some of that time, some of those 14 years, was spent very far away in Arabia, presumably working away at integrating what he now knows into who he is, working out the meaning of this call to be one who walks on the way of Jesus. There's actually an interesting parallel in the story we heard from the Gospel according to John. That lovely scene of grilled fish on the beach at sunrise, complete with Peter's typical leap-before-you-look enthusiasm. Who's that on the beach? It's the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the lake. He put on clothes and jumped into the lake <laughs> to sort of swash his way to the beach. And I love what John adds next. But the other disciples came in the boat, sensibly came in the boat. Of course, Peter has some unfinished business with Jesus, whether or not he's completely ready to admit it. So after breakfast, Jesus takes him aside and asks him three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, yes, yes. By the third time he's asked, Peter has become obviously impatient why does Jesus keep asking me when he knows that I really do love him? Well, how about being asked three times, once for each of the times that Peter had denied even knowing Jesus on the night of his arrest and trial? Isn't that the wound that was gaping in Peter's heart? Maybe not quite the same burden that Paul carried over all that he had done in the name of God. But Peter's burden was heavy all the same. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, and follow me. This will not be easy, and as sure as my path led to death, so will yours, Peter. But it is time to really become what I nicknamed you at the very beginning of this time together, Petros, the rock, called the rock. He's now truly to be a rock for the early church community. And on the other side of Pentecost, that is precisely what he becomes. Jesus saw something in both of these men, something they couldn't begin to see in their own selves. And he called on both to become what he saw. Nobody would have dreamt that Saul of Tarsus was meant to become what he became in Christ. Nobody. And do you remember how Peter reacted the very first time he encountered Jesus? Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter would have just stayed fishing for the rest of his life had Jesus not first called him and then shaped him, and mentored him, and finally forgiven him for his denial. It is so often the way 
that Jesus can see in us things we'd not otherwise see in ourselves. And then he says, follow me, and so we shall. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.